there's something wrong. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong everywhere we look. And you don't have to look very far or look very hard to feel like something is wrong, that this is not, this world is not the way that it should be. In every circle of our life, we can see things are, are wrong. You just look at the news, and you look at the top level of government, you can clearly see things are wrong and not the way that they're supposed to be. The government's not running the way that it's meant to be running. But then as we go down those levels, there's, there's, everything is wrong everywhere. In, in our state, the, it's not the way that it should be. It's not being governed and run the way that it should be. In our cities, there are injustices and things are not right. In our neighborhoods, there's inconsistencies and things are not right. And in our families, there are sins and injustices and hurts and pains, grudges. There is the appearance of peace in so many ways, but that peace seems to be very fragile and at times just an illusion that it just takes a little bit of a pinprick and all of that peace goes away. We can muster it up enough maybe to get through the holidays or to get through a dinner together peacefully with a family, or you could imagine with government to just get through a peaceful, one peaceful sit-down or one bill can come through, but it, it just never seems to last. That peace on earth that is promised in Scripture that we sing of, it just never seems to come. And when we think of Isaiah, when we think of the state of Israel, when we think of the state of us, it really is very, very similar. You know, Israel at this time, when they're reading Isaiah, it is a land of excess and a land of poverty. There are those who have very, very much, and there are those who have very, very little. There were times of incredible threats to their security, and then there were times of seemingly, of seeming peace, and where they had leaders who seemed to be able to provide the prosperity and the peace for them as a country. But this constant cycle of hoping that this coming king or this ruler, this governor would be the one who could actually deliver and provide peace and prosperity for the people, and they always failed. And Israel and us, right, we're constantly looking for something that will make our lives better, something that will bring peace to this world, something that will bring peace to our neighborhoods, to our families, to everything. We, we're desperate for peace, just as Israel was and looking for anything that would give it to us. But as we kind of peel it back a little bit, because it's easy to look at the world and find all the things that are wrong with it. It's easy to look around and see all the externals and say, everything is wrong with those things. Yep, the government is wrong. My neighbors are wrong. The mayor is wrong. Yeah, don't get me started on this city council. You know, this group. It's easy to see everyone else's injustices and, and their problems. But also, at this time of year, and, and just as we encounter Scripture like this, we have to look inwardly upon ourselves, too, that while there's certainly things that are wrong in the world that we walk in, there's also things that are deeply wrong within ourselves. There's something that's just not right. And again, the family table is probably one of the best places in which we feel that and see that. And this is why, we, in the house church, why we break bread together, why we eat together, you just... There's something wrong. I can't hide it for too long. I can try to put on a good cover. I can act a certain way and that there's peace. But before too long, it's just going to be crumbling down because my fears and my anxieties never leave me. My sin is always before me. There's always these constant feelings of dread and anxiety 
the need to please others. Uh, the, the, again, Christmas is a great example of all of this, where you have people coming into your homes and the feel, or going into someone else's home and the need to present a certain image, the need to show peace and contentment, but really there's a deep discontentment with life. You look at the American culture, and it's not just America, it's across really the world, but there's a deep discontent that comes out all the time. The latest Atlantic was all about anger and America's anger problem. We don't have to be convinced that there's a problem with us and around us. That we are a land of excess and we have so much, but we have a deep inability to ever be satisfied. When will I ever have enough? When will I ever finally feel at rest or peace? When will I ever be happy, truly happy with my family? When will I ever be truly happy with this job? When will I ever be truly happy with this home? When will I ever be truly happy in this city, in this world, the place that I live? Where it seems that we have this issue that we can never be satisfied. A constant need for entertainment, for medication, for anything to distract ourselves from that longings, those longings for satisfaction that just won't be met. We get the very things that we want and then we grumble and complain over those things that we have. It, it's, it, you see it, it, again, I shouldn't use Christmas as such an example, but it's Christmas morning, right? You get all of those presents you were hoping for as a child, and within hours, you're done. And it all wears off, and you're looking for the next thing. And this, and this is just symptomatic of all of us. We're all, we get exactly what we want, and then we grumble in despair. Earlier in Isaiah in Isaiah 7, God says this is the problem that Israel has. I brought you into the land, and then you blame your God for everything bad that's going on in your life. <laughs> I've given you everything, but then they turn from God, and they grumble and complain. This is, the, this is the Exodus story. This is our stories. God continues to provide. He continues to give us. We ask for things, and we get those things, and then we're not satisfied. And we grumble and complain and we turn those things back and we blame God for them. So what we want to do here, this, this, this time in this series, we're going to do three weeks out of Isaiah. And in this time, we want to look at three fundamental questions that help to redirect us and ground us in the gospel. Right? Because as we went through Philippians, it was a great series on being unified and working together for the progress of the gospel. And we're going to go through Ezra and Nehemiah, which is this going to be, again, what it actually looks like to build the kingdom of God together. But we need to take moments, and there are these seasons in which it's helpful to be reminded of the truth of the gospel and what it actually is. What is it that we're laboring for? What is it that we actually believe about us and about the world and about Christ? And so that's what we'll be doing for the next three weeks. And this first fundamental question that we see here in Isaiah and that we want to ask of ourselves and we need to be honest about as we look into this world, if we're going to be able to provide Christ to ourselves and to the world, we need to be honest about our fundamental needs. And so the question we want to ask ourselves and be able to answer as Christians is really what's wrong with us? Because there's something wrong. Right? You don't have to look far. The world is convinced that something's wrong. I don't have to convince any of my neighbors, any of my friends that the world is broken, that things are not the way that they should be. That's clear and apparent. We feel it. We know it. And, and we also go beyond, beyond just like we were talking about, beyond just the world, we also know that there's something very fundamentally wrong with me. 
And people know this. If you spend any time alone in solitude or in study or meditation, you, you feel something is wrong. What's wrong with me? What do I need to fix this problem? And so when we ask this question, that fundamental question, what's wrong with us? You know, if you were to ask, if I was to ask you directly or you were to ask your neighbor or your loved ones, you know, what's wrong with your life? What's the thing that if you could change, you would want to change? What's the problem with this world? Why can't we have any peace? Why can't I have peace in my life? Why can't this world have any peace? What's preventing us from having peace? You're going to get a wide variety of answers. But we can broadly group a few of them. There's the secular perspective on what's wrong with the world. And it makes sense. The secular perspective of what's wrong with the world is that there's a lack of freedom. Right? The, the problem with this world is that people are oppressed. The problem with this world is that people are being held down. Right? The problem are these unjust systems and people over them pushing rules and structures and forcing their will on people. If everyone could be free, if everyone could enjoy... The problem with this world is that not everyone has equal access to all of the goodness that this world has to offer them. If we could level that, if we could fix that, there could finally be peace. It's the oppression, it's those who are in power, it's those who are in authority, they're the ones who are holding everybody back and oppressing those around us. So the, the ideal then, or the, the goal of life, is really to bring up those who are being oppressed. Take down the powerful who are oppressing those and empower uh, those who are being oppressed. Give, if everybody had access to water, if everybody had access to voting rights, if everybody had access, equal access to the same amount of money, if everybody just had a chance to have a family, to have a car, to have a house, if everybody could have, right, then we would finally have peace. We wouldn't need to fight we wouldn't need to be jealous. We wouldn't need to struggle so much. And so you look to your structures around you and you say, oh, this is just not right. It's, un it's in unjust what's going on and how people don't have the freedoms that they need. There's a lot of truth to that. It's why it's such a compelling narrative. The other perspective, the more religious perspective towards what's wrong with the world is also a very compelling narrative is that it's bad people. People doing bad things is what's wrong with this world. <laughs> what's wrong with the world is that, there are, that people take advantage of others. What's wrong in the world is that people don't love each other. If we, could just, if we could all just decide to love one another, man, this world would be a better place. If we could just start treating each other better, Right? Just love your neighbor already. You know, just If you see someone in need, you should help them. If we could get our act together and start behaving more in alignment with what Scripture or what any religion gives, because all the ethical teachings of all the religions are really ultimately the same, live this ethical good life of doing what's right. And if everybody just did what was right, all right, this world would be fixed. Right? Our neighborhoods would be better, our city would be better, our government would be better if only we just had better people in it. If everybody would just get their acts together, we could finally have a good society. We could finally be good people. So we try to elect good people. We try to put good people in positions to do good, and we hope that that will fix our problems, that we just try to get better. 
we look at our own lives and we, we feel the guilt of the mistakes and the behaviors that we've done and we say, man, what's, why, what's lacking? Why don't I have peace? It's because I keep doing these dumb things over and over. If I could just get my act together, all right, then I would have peace. Then my family would accept me again. Then I would have all of those things that are promised to me. But Scripture is far more nuanced and far more powerful than both of those views. Both views obviously have a lot of truth in them and why they're so compelling and why it's very believable because it, it helps us to make sense of our worlds. But what, what Scripture points to is a very different perspective of what's wrong with the world. And we see it here in the book of Isaiah, and we see it all the way through Scripture. And Isaiah, I think, gives a very fitting description to what's the problem with Israel. That there is a darkness over Israel. That the people are walking in darkness. A deep darkness. And that's a good description of sin. The prophet's role is really to call the people out, to waken them up, to show them what their sin is, to remind them of their, because we, we just forget. We know God's promises, but we forget them. And the prophet comes with this powerful language to remind us. And there is a darkness that's over Israel. There's a darkness that's over us. We live in an incredibly dark age. Everything is colored by this darkness. I have this darkness. We have a darkness among us. There's this oppressiveness to everything. A lack of peace through Israel and through us. The biblical picture of sin, because this is what we have to be clear about. If we want to be clear about the gospel, we have to be clear about what sin is. We have to understand what's the problem. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with Israel? How did Israel get into this position? What's wrong with the world and with us. And the biblical picture of sin is when you look to anything other than God to give you peace. You're in sin. If you look for anything to provide you hope and satisfaction and it isn't Christ, it isn't God, it's sin. That's it. It's far more all-encompassing than both views, than those secular and religious views, because that turns, it means both of those course, your power structure, your authorities that are taking, that are hurting other people, that is sin. But just because you put good people in positions doesn't mean it's not any more sinful. Because if you're pursuing anything to give you that peace, it's sin. Because all of these things that we turn to, Israel kept turning to things, we turn to things, because they're good things. Israel's problem was that they worshiped false gods. They were delivered by Israel time and time and time and time again, given those promises all the time. They believed in God, but then they worshipped other things in hopes that those things would satisfy their deeper needs. They worshipped the kings to give them security and hope. They worshipped other gods, literal other gods, in hopes of making a better family, for fertility, for better crops, for all of these things. They worshipped all of this. Israel starts worshipping religion, the systems and the sacrifices in hopes of appeasing God. And what they were warned, and Isaiah tells them of this too, that when you worship, any God you worship demands of you. That it all starts out pretty good. Whatever God you're going to worship, and if it's your family, if it's work, if it's government, any of those things, athletic performance, beauty, 
whatever thing that you're pursuing to make you happy, it works for a while. It delivers on those promises. It feels good. You do start to feel peace. You do start to feel happy. But the problem with these gods that we worship, all of these things, is that they demand more and more of us. They're hungry gods, and they will devour and eat us alive because they take and they take and they take from us. We never, they are never satisfied, we are never satisfied. What will it take to be satisfied with my work? If, if I'm pursuing work to satisfy me, how much will I have to work before I'll ever be satisfied? You go to that well so many times, to that drug so many times, and it just it's, continues to diminish its effect until it just doesn't work anymore. And then you think, what's wrong with me? What do I got to do? How can I get this God to give it back to me, <laughs> what I, they were giving to me? And we get angry, and we get upset, and we grumble and complain, and we get discontent. If you're looking to your family to fulfill your needs, to make you happy, your family will eat you alive. That You can never keep them happy. You can for a little while. You can do all these little things, and it seems like it's working, and you get the satisfaction, but it starts to diminish, and they require more of you and more of you. And so you give more and more and more, and you start to get less and less and less from those gods, from that God, and then what's wrong with me? What do I have to do? How do I get this back? Maybe I got to switch. Maybe I got to find something else. And it's this constant just being eaten alive by all of the gods that we serve. And this is the picture that God continually gives to the prophets, to Israel, to their problem. They're suffering because they're being eaten alive by all of their false gods. They're worshiping anything other than the true God, and they're going through an incredible time of darkness. The whole land, you f- because whatever God you worship, you will become enslaved to them. That's, the God, that's my God. I have to follow him or her. I have to give them everything. They're the one who has peace. So if you believe that that has peace, you will serve it, and you will worship it, and you will want that peace and keep longing for the peace. But there's a growing emptiness and that darkness in us and a lack of peace. We were created to be filled up with God. This is Genesis and that lack of peace in our life, none of us feels at peace. Right? That's the big curtain reveal. No one is right. No one is right. Everyone has a lack of peace. Everyone has that emptiness. Everyone turns to false gods to try to fill that satisfaction. That emptiness, we have that because we're, it was designed in us to help to turn us away from ourselves and from others and turn us towards God. But instead of doing that, instead of dealing with this pain and actually turning to the source of hope, we avoid it. We avoid that emptiness. We avoid the pain. We avoid that at all cost. We distract ourselves. We medicate ourselves. We try to deal with that lack of contentment as much as possible. With the result, and this is probably the the worst possible result, is what we have really in America today and really in Christendom in America. 
where we have that middle class and spirit situation. We talked about it a little bit when we were going through the prophets before, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, <laughs> those who recognize they have nothing. But unfortunately, we feel very comfortable. We've grown comfortable in our spirituality where we say, you know what, I'm not the worst and I'm not the best. I know I'm not, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> yep, I know that. And I trust Jesus, but I still believe I can attain some level of righteousness on my own. I'm not proud and arrogant. I know that I can't save myself, but we have a contendedness with all of those sins in our life. We just don't want to call them sins. Look, I'm not doing any of the big stuff. I'm not, I'm not having an extramarital affair. I'm not addicted to drugs. I'm not promoting heresy. I'm doing pretty good. It's this kind of like you just feel like I'm, I'm doing fine. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm middle of the road. I'm not a saint, but I'm not a sinner. I'm just, I'm, I know both of those things. And you just feel like I'm going through the motions and I'm, and I'm doing pretty good. God loves me, thank goodness, because I'm never going to be perfect. And it, it's, a, it's a weird melancholy, right, that kind of describes the Christian life in a lot of ways. Where it's a constant trying to maintain a Christian image, a constant feeling of worry, of getting exposed. We don't really want to expose sin, or we'll expose some sins, but not all sin, because we've got to expose just enough sin to show that we know about our sin and that we're sinners. Uh, but we don't want to go past just the main ones or the big ones to expose. It's a belief in Jesus, but also a belief that I am responsible for my well-being. I'm still responsible for my life. Jesus saves me. Amen. But my own peace and happiness, I, that's on me. I, I, I can work for these things still. Jesus has saved me, but boy, I sure love my job. And I, still, and I really love my family, and I'm going to work hard at those things too. Yeah, Jesus saves me, and he would never say I should stop working on any of these things. And so we work. We work very hard, and we trust Jesus but the effects of this being middle class in spirit, this never dealing with or acknowledging the fundamental problems within us, we create a whole generations, right, societies of Pharisees, people outwardly who look the part and who can speak the part, but who inwardly have all kinds of pride and anger, melancholy and discontentment, where many of us, right, have gone through seasons, if not years of this, where we are quick to judgment, even though we believe in Jesus. I'm, I'm just harsh with the people around me. I'm harsh with my family, my friends, my neighbors, those in the church. Where they're quick to complain and to grumble over anything that goes wrong. Or where we have intense fears and anxiety, a constant busyness to our lives this constant comparing of ourselves to other people, right? Where you say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them, or at least I'm, you know, I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm, 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 I'm right in that sweet spot, so I'm, I continue to constantly compare. And you just stay very, very busy wishing and daydreaming for better things. Like one day, everything will get better for me. I really look forward to that. But you still stay in the same things. You have these unorganized, ineffectual lives because you don't want to deal with the fact that there's something wrong with your life. You don't want to open up that door 
and let Christ look at where your heart actually is and the things that you're actually worshiping. And we all will have times like this because the, the truth of the gospel is that all, this is the state of all of us. Everyone is in the same position. When I'm confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I'm confronted by Scripture, and this is why for a lot of us we, we want to avoid reading the Bible, <laughs> we want to avoid doing studies, we want to avoid a lot of the talk about sin because it's really uncomfortable because the gospel confronts me with my sin I'm far worse off than I ever thought I was. I, I mean, I always feared I was a bad person, but when I open it up, it's, there's nothing good because even the good things that I'm pursuing is selfish and wrong. Like, I have no good in me, nothing. It's despair and darkness when you take a hard look at this. I, I, I have nothing to stand on. I have no good that is mine. Nothing I have in my life is mine. I, I, what, what can I hope in? Nothing. It leads us to this place of real desperation. But if we don't get to the place of desperation, if we don't take our sins seriously, it has consequences. It did for Israel, and it does for us. The understanding that we have of sin really affects the picture of the Savior that we're expecting to come and that we're hoping for and that we believe in. If we think that I just need a one-time salvation experience to get into heaven, well, then that's the Savior I'm looking for. Thankfully, he died. Thankfully, I'm going to heaven. And I can just, you know, I'm just going to do the best that I can. Ultimately, with both of those views, that secular view and that religious view, our tendencies, the default setting of our heart is that we want a Savior to come and to change our circumstances. Right? I want a Savior who can come and who can either fix everything around me, all these problems that are in my life, or I want a Savior who can come who can fix my behavior. Right? Like I know this, I, yeah, I know I'm doing wrong stuff. I want Jesus to fix it. Right? I, I want him to come and I want to figure it out and not do these things anymore. Both are asking for a Savior who will fix your circumstances. But what Jesus actually offers through all, all of Scripture, and especially here in Isaiah, next week we're going to look at the question of what does Jesus actually do? Who is Christ? But what he actually offers is something far greater. He actually offers peace. He offers that deep soul-quenching peace that this world has been craving, that we're constantly turning to other things to give us. He doesn't offer that he'll change our circumstances. He instead offers to change us. Not just a drink from the well, but that an actual well will spring up in us. This is Christ with the woman at the well in John. right? saying, if you just knew who you were speaking to, you wouldn't even ask for a drink. I would, there would be a fountain that would be welling up within you. Like, I'm not coming to just fix the outward things. I'm coming so that you can actually have peace. A king who will actually make us better. And so as we look at these passages, as we meditate on the gospel, as we talk about this coming Savior and the Savior who has come, it's a season to be reminded about just how tired we are. 
right? I, I was reflecting on how tired I've been those last couple of weeks, but really it's more than just my circumstances that's making me tired, right? My soul gets tired. I'm tired of being tired. I'm tired of being exhausted. I'm tired of not being satisfied with all the things that I'm trying to do and how they just, they keep, it just keeps slipping through my grasp. Christ is calling us to give up all of the things in our life that will eat us alive. All of the things that we think satisfy us but don't. We need to come to the place where we can see him as the only source of life, as the true prince of peace in our world. And this requires confession, which is a very loaded term, as is sin. But it requires that. The Christian life is a life of continual confession. Because this is a continual problem, because this, this problem doesn't go away. My issue is still with me. My sin is with me. Until I get a new body, I will sin. So my lack of, my being lack of satisfied and always turning to different things, and this, this is always going to be before me. And so I always have the recognition that I'll need to be in a position of confession, a constant turning to Christ, a constant humility and honestness with Him. Because the world has a, a picture of Christians, which is really unfortunate, but we, we believe this ourselves, that Christians are better people. Because of the gospel, I'm in a better position. I don't struggle anymore. I'm okay. If you just had Jesus, oh, you could, your life would get better. No, that's not. Christians are not better. We don't have better lives than our Buddhist neighbors or our Muslim neighbors. Our lives are not characterized as better. Christians aren't the ones who just have their acts together. No, Christians are the ones who have hope in the midst of the darkness. <laughs> because we all have the same fundamental problem. We all have this issue of looking to something that will satisfy us and then being disappointed by it. And the gospel is this great leveler of the people because we all have the same problem. We all have the same Savior. The Savior didn't come just to save the poor. He didn't come just to save the strong the Savior comes to deal with all of us and to give us peace. And as we look into the darkness, as we, as we really take sin seriously, a Christian doesn't lose hope because of the Savior that's to come. This picture, the solution to our problems is not ourselves. Like Becky read here at the end of the Lord, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. This child will come and the light will shine and the Lord will accomplish this work. Because with, every other pro if, with those other perspectives of the world's problems, you're the solution. I'm the solution. You're not satisfied with your life? Well, you better fix it. You better find something that'll help you. If you believe that the problem in the world is the injustices, then you better start working against those things and start freeing the people. If you believe that the problem in this world is behavior, well, then you better start correcting your behavior and your family's behavior and your neighbor's behavior and your church. It's, it's on you. The solution to life's problems are yours. That's overwhelming. That's where we hit despair and say, I can't fix it. I can't fix any of my own problems, let alone anyone else's problems. We need to start to see Christ as the solution to our problems. When do we start to actually experience the giving up of our false gods and experience peace? We start to experience those when we start to truly see Jesus for who he is. 
when we see Jesus enter the darkness on our behalf, feeling everything that we feel, emptying himself of everything, of all of his glory, humbling himself and becoming a man, thirsting, the giver of life and water himself thirsting for a drink on the cross, being cut off from that fountainhead so that we never will, being cut off from the love of the Father so that we never will, seeing Christ's prayers to the Father going unanswered so our prayers would never go unanswered, him dying in the dark, abandoned and alone so that we will never be alone or abandoned in our darkness, in our shame and in our guilt, seeing him rise from the dead to show us what awaits us, that same glorious life of one day being fulfilled, and seeing how he purchased and secured our peace through his death and his resurrection. When we start to see him, those false gods look a lot less attractive. How could that promise me peace? This is the only God who could actually deliver on his promises because he's the only God who's alive and coming again. In order to be clear about our Savior, we need to be clear about what we need to be saved from. Christ is calling his people away from the things that enslave us and kill us and calling us to be honest with ourselves and with our sins and to call upon Christ. In order to experience that mercy and grace and the beauty of Christ, we have to be honest with sin. We can't hide from it. We have to look into the darkness, but not as a people without hope, but as a people confident in the love of Christ. Let me pray.